Hi, I'm Robert Rivera. Welcome to another episode of Mixed Take, a World Outspoken podcast where we discuss film, television, entertainment, representation, and why we think it's worthy of deeper conversations. And I'm Dani Alicea. Today is a special episode as we talk about the Netflix series, Colin in Black and White, from co-creators Ava DuVernay, which you may remember from season one, episode four here at Mixtake, where we talk about her amazing directorial talents. Um, Along with Colin Kaepernick comes Colin in Black and White, a bold new dramatic limited series that chronicles Kaepernick's coming of age story. So he's a shorty in a lot of the limited series. Um, and, And we journey with him as he tackles the obstacles of things like race, class, and culture as a black adopted child living in a white family. So without further ado, lights, camera, action. This real-life story, Colin in Black and White, stars Jaden Michael as young Colin Kaepernick before reaching the highest levels of American football as a starting NFL quarterback and becoming a cultural icon and activist. Colin Kaepernick himself appears in the series as the present-day narrator of his own story, guiding viewers through a robust and colorfully presented array of historical and contemporary contextual moments. So, according to Netflix, you don't know Kaepernick until you know Colin. So now let me let me first say that the heart of our podcast uh, is really to dive into mixed spaces and embrace our mestizaje. And if you're unfamiliar with the term mestizo, it refers to a, a person who's mixed, um, particularly mixed race. So Colin Kaepernick, he is the epitome of what we would say is mestizo, right? Growing up a biracial kid, uh, he his biological parents, his, his mom is white, his dad is black. He was adopted by a white family, grew up in small town USA where his dark skin is offensive to whites and then his white parents are offensive to blacks. So he's, he's caught in these two very different worlds trying, trying to navigate his way. Um, and then if you're not familiar with Colin Kaepernick, um, he was a professional football player in the NFL, had success as a quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers uh, from about 2011 to 2016. But he's really better known for kneeling during the national anthem before games to protest racial injustice and bol- police brutality against African-Americans. Right. And before we get into the specifics about the series, there will be spoilers. Uh, let's give our non-spoiler thoughts about Colin in black and white. Donnie. First of all, would you recommend the series and why? 100%. Absolutely. I would recommend this hands down. I mean, if we're if we're talking thumbs, I'll give it two. If we're talking stars, five out of five or 10 out of 10, whatever your scale is. I will say I, I watched the series twice over the course of two days and feel the need to watch it again. There's six episodes. They're about 30 minutes each. So it's not a huge time investment. Yeah, it's very manageable. Not a huge time investment. And then we're, I, I think, educated about why the kneeling yeah. and, and what the point was. I think I knew then, but it was so much, it gave so much more insight, the snapshot into his life as a young person, what he had to deal with, the obstacles that he overcome, the racism that he endured. 
And then, you know, forward 10 years or so when he's in the NFL and he has a platform where he can actually speak out about these injustices that he he experienced himself and sees others uh, experiencing. It's informative. It's helpful. I think it's it's done in a really wonderful way. I think Ava DuVernay does just so phenomenally with painting beautiful pictures for us. Her her use of cameras and this this her storytelling ability I think is just outstanding. So I would recommend this series for sure. How about you, Rob? Um, For me, yeah, I think it's a good backdrop to his life and kind of an origin story to the activist side of Colin Kaepernick. So Mm -hmm. I definitely recommend it. It's going to bring up some issues that I think that uh, we don't like to face often Mm. in in our own hearts about maybe prejudices that we have or that we see and we we don't speak up about. I think some of the examples are very provocative and very powerful. It's going to bring about emotion it's going to bring about a, a reaction within you and i think it's important to to let that ride out and and really kind of confront what's going on in your heart yeah and and whether you agree or disagree it's just helpful to know the perspective and the experiences of another person definitely at the very least so let's go deeper and talk about the specifics of the series if that's okay definitely if you as a listener do not want spoilers we would suggest that you pause here Watch Colin in black and white, and then come back for more discussion. This series begins with the infuriating perception of the black athlete. I don't know if you remember. Of course you did, because you've seen it many times, right? One skit shows the parallel of black athletes sized up at the NFL combine with the purchasing of slaves. Mm -hmm. Uh, Was this more shocking to you, or did it confirm things that you've witnessed concerning black athletes? I had never had this thought in my mind ever. Okay. I literally, my jaw dropped as they, there's, you know, one part where the athlete's arms are stretched out side to side and they're measuring um, his wingspan. And then they, they scene change to an, a black man on uh, the slave block and having the white owner size up and look at the the muscle strength of the individual to see if he wanted to purchase the slave. And I was enraged. I, I mean, the depths of depravity that people have to go to in order to treat people like that. And then the link to the NFL combine I've never put those two things together. So seeing that visually displayed for us to educate us, I was I was horrified that the two yeah. look so similar. And then like that purchasing aspect. Obviously with NFL players, you're not purchasing, you're paying. However, it does beg the question of golly, you know, this yeah. slave mentality. You- no, no, definitely, definitely, right. Because I, I, the pushback is going to be that these players are getting paid millions. Mm-hmm. You know, on one aspect, obviously, you can understand why an NFL player steps on the scale to mm-hmm. see, you know, what a physical specimen specimen they are. I mean, if you watch the NFL, that's what you're actually watching. That's what you care about is how athletic right. are these guys? How fast is this person? How strong is this person? I, I do have a question for you, Rob. Yeah. I was trying to think, are there other sports that have something like this? You know, for baseball, 
Is it yeah. that recruiters are going to their actual games and talking mm-hmm. with their coaches? Or is there an actual, like, they come, they oh, measure like them, they weigh them? Yeah, like that, like the NFL. I see. That's a great question. And I'm just going to plead ignorant on baseball. I don't, <laughs> I don't think that there's something like that for baseball. They are judged. I mean, players are evaluated in every sport for their size, their height, their strength. Yeah. But is that typically, is that evaluation typically, you know, in one slave trading kind of event, like the NFL combine does it, or is it like, you know, cause I'm like trying to rack my brain. I'm like, yeah. ah, I don't, I don't think it looks like that for other sports. The NFL is definitely a spectacle and it's televised on ESPN and, and mm-hmm. you can find it. So I, I think that in other sports, you're going to see things kind of like that, but I don't know if it takes that form exactly mm-hmm. so yeah i don't know i think of before boxing matches um, right the way in but that's know, just that. because it's a like literal a man like they have you're not a featherweight unless you're yeah yeah exactly exactly so yeah it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing and and the pushback will be well they get paid millions i think that there's an expectation you'll get paid millions as long as you do it the way that you play the game the way we tell you to play it and you do mm-hmm. what we tell you to do. Mm-hmm. So there's a brand that they're expected to keep, which in some ways, again, you think of any employment that's, that's true. Right. But in Colin's case, we know he's no longer in the NFL and it's, it's not because of his talent. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So he, you know, he passed that criteria. Uh, maybe he's not a starting quarterback, but he's definitely a, a backup on some team. Yeah. And so I think that that's, where that comparison for him, especially, let's just be honest, we're experiencing this through the eyes of Colin Kaepernick, and mm-hmm. it's being helped told by Ava DuVernay. And mm-hmm. so he sees that more than other players. Other players may not see it the same way because they were, you know, they haven't, they haven't been blackballed the way he has. Mm-hmm. Right. I do love, though, that we get his perspective we get the perspectives of a black man and a black woman. They dictate the narrative as they educate us, the audience. Yeah. Like this is his experience. It's Colin in black and white. So this isn't him saying this is every black person or every biracial person or every NFL football player. He is just saying this is my experience and this is what I'm understanding of it. And to that end, it was like this is my experience with hair. And when I chose to get uh, corn rolls, this is the the response that I got from my mom. She calls me a thug. Or this is my response from my baseball coach. He says I can't play unless I cut it off. Uh, I'm seen as a crim or you know whatever fill in the blank. Yeah. Whether it's you know the application of the literal definition of the word thug, being a violent person, a criminal, or a bully, or you know, whatever softer version his, his mom had in his, in her mind when she said that to him, you look like a thug, but this is his experience of, man, I am treated this way when I choose to embrace my cultural heritage, these corn, corn rolls that go back, you know, mm-hmm. nearly 4,000 years. Um, I embrace this heritage and I'm called a thug right. for it. So question for you, Rob, have you um, ever felt judged? Your hair is obviously, you're Puerto Rican, you got curly hair. Have you ever felt judged by your hairstyle or felt like uh, your tight curls would be like offensive 
to to others. You know, it's interesting. For many years, people didn't know I had curly hair. I would say I have curly hair. They're like, you do? Because I, I, I kept no it so short. I wouldn't wow. say that I – I don't think I ever felt like it was offensive. I think I was just more ashamed or embarrassed of it as it gets, Why it gets longer. I think I was – I didn't know how to I didn't know how to take care of it well or didn't know how to style it mm. well. And funny enough, over the pandemic, <laughs> as we all many of us let our hair kind of just grow out. I didn't have, you know, barber barber wife living with me who mm. cut my hair. Mm-hmm. And I saw many people picking up, you know, the the skill of of the fade over the pandemic, mm-hmm. not in my home. <laughs> so I just let it grow out and I looked in the mirror and I said, "You know what?" I think I would li- actually like my hair a little bit longer and let the huh. let the curls kind of live. And yeah. it's not wild. It's not like my hair is that long. But but even if it was. Just embraced it a little bit more. Yeah. Like if you see Colin in the show, his hair is, I don't know, probably six or eight inches afro yeah. all the way around. If it's wild, like, and what? Yeah. He's got himself a nice do. The series also talks about this idea of the proto, the prototype, right? The prototypical quarterback. And there's this example of a video game. And if you go into a video game, there's a good chance you are creating a character that looks like you, but only maybe a buff version of you or a faster version (laughs) of you, a stronger version of you. But it's always (laughs) Mm -hmm. a version of you. Mm. Before we break that down, how that came out in the episode, let me ask you a question. Is there anything wrong with drifting toward familiarity? And what does a healthy balance even look like? See, and and what I really appreciate about in the show is how they kind of spell it out for us, what it then looks like when you're only drifting towards familiarity. So I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but when it's the only thing that you drift for or the only thing that you look for, and then somebody other than what you're looking for comes along and is more talented, is faster, more agile, has a stronger arm, better aim, whatever, but you're still looking for the familiarity yeah. and the familiar overshadows talent, then I think that's where the the issue lies. And that's what Colin Kaepernick seemed to experience just time and time again as he was going along. It was like I don't I don't look like what they're looking for. And by looking it was skin color. I am too dark for what they're looking for. So 70% of NFL players are black, but only one in three, about 33% are quarterbacks, which is an all-time high for the NFL. So predominantly black league, but the person leading the offense is predominantly a white person. So for Colin, he's like, I'm a black kid trying to establish myself as a quarterback in what would typically be a white position he just received so much pushback on on that. Yeah, I think the idea there is that a coach who is white, most coaches mm-hmm. are white. Owners. Yeah. Absolutely. But the per- person specifically coaching the quarterback maybe mm-hmm. you know, if there's a if there's another style of quarterback that they're unfamiliar with, they don't know how to coach that that person to that to their strengths. They want to right. revert them back to the style that they're used to kind of reshape a person into their own image. Right. And again, nothing wrong. I don't think there's much wrong with familiarity and like, okay, I I drift towards this type of individual. You know, my best friends happen to be Latina. Do I drift towards what's familiar? 
Sure. But do I drift away from somebody who doesn't look like me, somebody who is white or black or Asian or Native American? Absolutely not. So familiar, I think it's okay. There's more connection, more natural connection. Things happen a little bit easier, whether it's culture. But again, just the the idea to push away something that's unfamiliar, even if it's more of the thing that you're looking for, that's where it becomes unhealthy. And then for Colin, that's where it becomes racism when he isn't selected just because he's black. The great thing about Colin, though, that you see is that with his hair, he embraces his hair. Well, he he does say it's 14 years later. It, you're right. You're so, right. He tried to embrace it early on, mm-hmm. and his opportunities were getting cut off. It's either mm-hmm. cut it right. or you're you're off the team kind of a situation. Yep. And, mm-hmm. you know, his parents affirming, well, you know, you do look like a thug if you have it in cornrows. And, yeah, and he needed that white man stamp of approval. Yeah. And uh, what I appreciate, though, is that he – from a young age, started to push back. Mm-hmm. When it mm-hmm. came down to the quarterback position, even as a kid, it was the familiar that the coaches would drift toward. This less mm-hmm. talented kid who plays the game the way that the coach is, is familiar mm-hmm. with. And yeah. despite that, Colin saying, I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm going to go out there mm-hmm. and I'm going to show them I'm the better quarterback. Mm-hmm. Or even... There's a scene where the baseball his baseball coach calls him in and he's like, hey, if I tell you to throw a certain pitch, you throw the pitch. Not trusting. I think that that scene was depicting like not trusting that a black kid can make a better decision than a white coach. Was that was that a misdirect scene, though? Because that's the same exact mean? scene where he's giving Colin good news in that scene. And so he calls Colin into the office to make it seem like you're in trouble. Like, hey, when I tell you yeah. to throw a pitch, you throw a pitch, and Colin thinks he's in trouble. And then he's like, actually, yeah. I'm here to tell you that these these teams are scouting you, and, and they want – or whatever universities. I can't remember if it's colleges. So I saw that as as kind of a trick scene. Like, you think that he's being reprimanded, oh, but it was like his dry humor. I thought he was genuinely like, boy, this is what you need mm. to do. Harkening back to, you know, episode one of this, like – master slave mentality like boy you need to do what because we see that same coach throughout the rest of the series Mm -hmm. calling colin in thinking that he can tell him what to do Mm -hmm. baseball is it if you don't do this you're going to ruin the rest of your life like boy listen to your slave master here i'm telling you what you need to do and if you don't listen to me you're going to ruin the rest of your life and it's like you know again this like audacity this white audacity to Talk to black people in a way where they know best. Yeah. I have what's best in mind and, you know, only my mind can think of what's best for your life. So I'm going to make assertions and dominations over your life and tell you what you need to do and what you should do and X, Y, Z. Yeah. So I, 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 I took it a completely different way. Interesting. As a person who loves baseball, yeah. there was a part of me that said, dude, play baseball. Do baseball. <laughs> I agree. Play baseball, please. <laughs> I wanted him to play baseball, too. But I understand there's something there's something deeper. He has a calling. He has a love. He has a drive. And yeah. he doesn't want somebody to say, you cannot do it just because we think this is the better route for you. Even though what they're offering yeah. is not a bad route. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. Either way, he's going to be a millionaire. Either way, he's going to be an athlete. And for sure, like it's all of the options that he had for him before him for baseball were amazing. 
they were great. Yeah. It goes down to this idea of a lack of understanding and advocacy. Like you said, mm-hmm. his parents mm-hmm. didn't have his back. There are mm-hmm. a lot of scenes where he is profiled, right? And mm-hmm. his parents bail him out and say, oh, man, that's kind of laugh off the laugh off the incident like no big deal that happens to every you know dark person maybe i i don't know exactly what what their mentality was but whatever it was they never they never really took it too seriously or they took it as they you know how they say the glass is half empty or the glass is half full perspective i think white privilege allows you allows individuals to see the glass is half full. So there's a scene where Colin Kaepernick gets pulled over by a police officer. The police officer asks to see his driver's permit. And when Colin goes to reach for it, the police officer kind of puts his hand on his, on his gun as though he's going to draw. And the parents play it down like, Oh no, no, no. He's just, you know, doing what you said. And, at the end of the exchange, yeah. you know, they drive away and, and the dad is just like, oh, you got out of your first ticket. Yeah, congratulating for, him. Right. But it's, you know, like, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> That's, okay, glasses half full. I suppose that could be, you know, the silver lining in the situation. But the more real glasses half empty perspective, which is the more pressing thing, is your teenage black son just had a police officer nearly threaten his life and how scary that is for a young kid who's trying to do everything right in school. He was, you know, a stellar student in sports. He was a stellar athlete at home. He was at least in the show he's portrayed as just such a good son. So he's trying to do everything right. And, you know, to, to have that happen. And he's, he continuously has this experience of, I see the world and experience the world but then my parents or others around me don't, particularly his parents, they see the glasses half full perspective. And he's like, but the glass is half empty. You yeah. Know? It, it was nice to see his friend Jake who got it, who saw what he saw. And, you know, it, there's, the, you know, the one scene in the hotel where one of the workers is just eyeing him and thinking that he's going to steal something or do something shady and his friend explains, and he's like, what do you expect? You're a six-foot dude in <laughs> right. Whitey Whiteville. Like, yeah, they're looking at you. You know, get, it's cool. Like, let's go swim, you know? Right. So it was. I'm sure it was such a breath of fresh air for Colin to have a voice of reason who saw what he saw, um, but also just kind of invited him to some peace in it within the storm. Yeah. So th- obviously football is at the center here. They reference Allen Iverson in the NBA Mm. Mm -hmm. to kind of show that this isn't an isolated incident in just football, but in basketball, but of course, baseball as well. That was his, Mm -hmm. maybe his best sport was baseball. Mm -hmm. And where he received the most racism. Yeah. And the thing is, so baseball is bloated with unwritten rules and the right way to play the game. I think Mm. had Kaepernick, chosen the route of major league baseball he still would have been likely he still would have been blackballed uh there Mm -hmm. and one problem is that these leagues want diversity without changing the culture they want to say oh we've got players from all these different backgrounds but the culture remains that Mm -hmm. a white culture Mm -hmm. and um you know we see this in church 
in Christian institutions. This is not isolated to NFL or any sport. I think those are microcosms of the bigger problem. But my question really then is, what does real diversity look like? Is there any benefit to diversity? Mm. Now, is that your question to our listeners? (laughs) It is. And I'm going to also ask you. But when I think of it, I think of it in terms of you have different people from different backgrounds, but no, but there's not a conforming culture that says everybody must kind of lose that identity and conform to a majority kind of culture. I love but that. They can coexist and there can be rules and there can be whatever, but there's a celebration, I think, and an acceptance and learning of, of different cultures, something yeah. like that. I absolutely love that. And I would completely agree with that depiction of what diversity looks like. A celebration of who you are, where you come from, your culture, without the degradation of others. Because I think that the tendency can sometimes be you elevate your culture above others because you're like, well, this is the way to do it. This is how you spend your money or spend your time or love your love the people around you, your family, your, your neighbor, your kids, and somebody else does it differently. And then you look at the other who's across the street and you're like, well, that's not how you're supposed to do it, supposed to, yeah. or, or that's not how it should be done, or that's not the best way. So the elevation, the, the pride even in your culture, your heritage, your, you know, fill in the blank, that could become the difficulty in a wonderfully diverse world. One of the biggest enemies is our own pride, potentially. And by pride, I mean the elevation of your culture above another. Yeah. I th- you know. So I think there's healthy pride in our culture, of course, but like the unhealthy pride where it's like, my way is better than yours. Yeah. In college, I found myself having to explain music I was listening to or the way I played sports or whatever it may be. And you know, there was a, a Korean on my floor who would cook kimchi and have to explain and, mm-hmm. and people making jokes about, you know, how it smelled or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. There was mm-hmm. just a lack of this desire for education and further understanding and deepening and celebration and saying, oh, that's interesting that you do it this way. I would love to partake in that. This is the way that we do it. And just being able to share. I'm a White Sox fan. And mm-hmm. over the years- so sad. Yeah, that's that's where we that's, that's where we end this podcast. Um, Go Cubs! Yeah. <laughs> and Go Cubs. Uh, there's there's a player on the White Sox, Tim Anderson, who a lot of people have a problem with the way that he plays the game. He plays very fired up. He's very animated. Flips his bat, mm-hmm. just things like that. And I was I was afraid for for a minute that he would be censored and and be told like mm. you cannot express yourself in this game the way that you want mm. to express yourself and you know there's a line mm-hmm. right if he's if you're going over to the other bench and and cussing them all out or something that's that's different right. but playing with passion and playing with swag those kinds of things are, are looked down on in in baseball and it's mm-hmm. to me it's just another another point to say I get it. That's who you are. That's that's your personality. That's how you you grew up. But guess what? You're in you're in our world now. Play the way we we tell you to play. Even oh, though there's yeah. a lot of pushback, he continued and he tweeted about it. Like yeah. I'm gonna play the way I play, and mm-hmm. I think in some ways he's inspiring others to do the same. Yeah, and for Colin, he ran into this 
You have to play the right way, which really meant you have to play the white way. So you have to be subdued. You have to kind of mellow. You have to chill. You have to cut, you know, your hair needs to look a certain way. Your clothes need to look a certain way. At one point early on, I think it's the first episode, his mom takes him to kind of a hip hop store and he walks in and he's like, oh my goodness, this place feels like me. You know, the the biggie shirts and the baggy shorts and the throwbacks and the hats. And he's like, I love this. But if he tried to wear those clothes in his context, he would be kicked out of hotels. He would not be able to play the baseball, you know, all these different things. And he just the continual exposure to this white privilege that his parents had, but that he didn't exactly have. And so he says it in this way. In many ways, the rules of the game reflect the code of behavior expected in American society. Mm-hmm. So what he experienced in America, this this judgment, this you have to look this way, dress this way, it was exactly the same in sports, in athletics, uh, on the baseball field. Like He was like, man, I understood the rules of the game, but then he would have a racist ump who's calling his pitches balls or when he's up to bat, who's calling their pitches strikes when they're obvious balls. So it's like you're trying to do everything white, right? <laughs> white, right? Um, <laughs> you're trying to do everything correctly, um, and and still he is a square peg trying to fit into a triangle hole, and it's just not working. Right, what his white counterparts can get away with, and yelling at the umpire, the mm-hmm. slightest whisper, whisper reaction. He whispers at one yeah, point, draws the ire of the umpire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what are your, your thoughts of microaggressions? So they talk about microaggressions in, in one of the episodes. We'll define microaggressions the way they define it in the show. It's small behavioral indignities that communicate derogatory racial insults that leave us feeling degraded, dehumanized, or offended. So, Rob, have you ever been on the receiving end of microaggressions? College is, is where, where I felt that mm-hmm. the most... I remember in college, I was I was listening to pretty much only Christian hip hop. Mm, mm-hmm. That music was was labeled as thug music and, mm-hmm. and whatever. And I was told, you know, my music is not acceptable. It, sometimes it was said in a joking way or, or whatever, but it was brought up quite a bit. Trying to listen, like I think he swore in there, just trying mm-hmm. to pick apart the song or, or whatever. But. Um, I think there was a subtlety to say, this music, you know, not okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even things that are like inherent to our culture, dancing being one of them. I couldn't believe yeah. that both both Robert and I went to the same college. And in order to go to the college that we went to, we had to sign kind of a student life agreement, what our lives were going to look like while we were on campus and off. They wanted us to respect the um to reflect the school positively. And so one of the things we were not allowed to do was dance. And both being I'm Mexican and Puerto Rican, Rob, you're Puerto Rican, salsa, merengue, bachata, cumbia, that's just family parties. You know, you go to a wedding and there's music playing and you dance with your cousins, your uncles. Your, and I, I felt like I had to be a person of my word and, and sign that, but to be robbed of our culture because this microaggression, which is saying 
you know, that's not the right way. Dancing. That's not the right way to yes. comport yourself as a Christian. Yes. Which is, it's not the white way. Like just y'all, cause y'all don't have rhythm. Don't come at my game. Like, uh, sir, <laughs> like what? <laughs> but <Better> why? <laughs> or the comments like you're one of the good ones, which is, was what yeah. Collins, you know, somebody said to Colin at one point. Right. And I'm sure you've heard that. I've definitely heard that. Like, oh, you're, you know, like, you're, go, oh, you're, you're smart. Oh, you're, yeah, you're really intelligent. Wow, you're really smart. I've never been told that, but I'm, I've seen other people <laughs> receive that. But, you know, like, I, I mean, the, the audacity that people have in, in thinking that they're saying something positive and complimentary is like they have no idea that this is a microaggression against who the fabric of our being. Like, yes, our people are intelligent. Like Mexicans, Mayans, we were the first ones to invent a clock. Yeah, you know I mean, like, don't come at my people, homie. Like, yes, of course we're smart. We know we're smart. I very much appreciate the conversation of microaggressions in in this show. Yeah. Another thing that mm-hmm. was was interesting was the negative images of black people in media and that whole discussion of how when we don't control our own narrative it's damaging to to black people so they talk about the doll test and that kind of thing which i I thought was so helpful for those that may not be familiar with this doll test that happens all around the world with little kids they're they're given a black doll and a white doll and they're the children are asked to point at you know which of these is the nice doll or the good doll, the smart doll, the pretty doll. And overwhelmingly, children, regardless of you know race, language, creed, color, they choose the white doll. And then which is the mean, the bad, the dumb, the ugly? And overwhelmingly, choose children choose the, the black doll. Right, which raises the bigger question. Why, why are kids thinking this? I think mm-hmm. it's said over and over again mm-hmm. that children don't look at color when they are making friends as as small children Mm -hmm, so as mm -hmm. they're getting older why are they coming to these conclusions and why is that what you referenced earlier that that is the narrative in the media in movies or whatever it may be we see the dark people as the threat as we mentioned in episode one birth of a nation was a film where the black man is characterized as a threat to white women Mm-hmm. and more of an animal, less of a human, mm-hmm. sex-crazed. Mm-hmm. That is the introduction of the black man to the silver screen. And throughout the years, that mentality has been passed on over and over and over. And I think there was a scene where people are holding on to their bags a little bit tighter when the, the group of African-American players are walking into the hotel. Everyone is hanging out a little mm. bit tighter. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. ever been in a car. They're like, we're going through this neighborhood. Lock your Lock your car doors. I was just going to say I'm guilty of that. But you know what? I'll do it with white kids, too. I'm like, y'all bad little kids. I'm going to knock my... <laughs> you're you're <laughs> y'all a opportunity racist. <laughs> I do it in any day. Look, I'm like, y'all, no. Let me go ahead and lock my doors. I don't know what y'all going to do or not do. I ain't the one. Not today. But I think, you know, kids are being raised like this, and then it's it's reinforced. Mm. in the media. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we do this podcast, Donnie, right? Because we want to help Mm -hmm. reshape that narrative of people of color in film and television. They're telling stories and reframing this idea of people of color. 
Absolutely. And I think one of the things that Colin says in Colin in Black and White is if we control our own narrative, we'd be unstoppable. And so our whole first season here at Mixed Take is dedicated to sharing black and brown creators who are telling stories, telling our stories in ways that we feel do these these stories justice. Because we completely agree, we'd be unstoppable. We get the opportunity to share our story in our way and create the narrative of what we look like, the roles that we play, what kind of hero we portray. And I think that's incredibly powerful. So if you as a listener, haven't listened to uh, season one, episode four. You can learn a little bit more about our thoughts on Ava DuVernay, the director of films like Selma 13th, When They See Us, and a show called Queen Sugar. And uh, season one, episode six, you can hear our thoughts on Ryan Coogler. We're both big fans of Creed, Fruitvale Station, and of course, Black Panther. Yeah. So so Rob, tell us, what are your, your final thoughts? So we've all felt overlooked undervalued and just flat out rejected were there any quotes or scenes that encouraged you to to rise above those feelings one quote that i wrote down i know that you also highlighted it donnie is this idea and i don't know it made me feel a certain way first and he says since the day i was born i've never been anybody's first choice Mm -hmm. so that's that's hard to think about this this idea that he was passed up first of all he was Mm -hmm. given up for adoption secondly the family that adopted him wanted another child before and they settled on taking him. And Mm -hmm. as he became a quarterback, he had to prove and he, and he had, he asked that question, right? Why is it, why is it me that always has to prove myself? Why do I always have to Mm. prove myself? Mm -hmm. But when I think about the fact that he knew what he wanted and he refused to be shaped by the expectations of those around him, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged to be who I am and not worry about the idea of what others want from me. Mm-hmm. To me, the way I see my life is, A, I submit first to Christ. And I don't live in the expectations of other people. I don't know what expectations people have of me. I don't know if you've experienced that, Donnie, where people meet you and they think, okay, because you are a Christian or because you are Mexican, Puerto Rican or whatever it is, like they expect certain things from you. Mm-hmm. I remember the quote that said, they're going to see you. It's that idea of finally being mm-hmm. seen. Like mm-hmm. they're going to see you and then also show them that you're the right choice. Mm-hmm. At the ending, he also, he gives this kind of charge. He says, trust your power, love your blackness. You will know who you are. I love that idea just to say that God has gifted us. He's given us certain abilities and what he has created us to be may not fit what other people want from us. Love Mm -hmm. your blackness for, for us. It's Mm -hmm. love the fact that that we're Latino and in that comes so much. It comes, there comes blackness. It comes, there is whiteness, there is native and there's, there's so many different cultures and, and things within us that we can mm-hmm. embrace and we can love that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you will know who you are if you embrace those things that you are rather than trying to meet everybody's expectations. That There's nothing worse to me than somebody who is a people pleaser to the point where they're always trying their best to fit in with whatever people group they're with. Whatever, you know, I think of a kid in high school who's trying to find his or her way 
and hangs out with different groups and acts differently in those different groups, trying to figure out mm-hmm. where exactly do I fit in, mm-hmm. never really even mm-hmm. truly understanding who he or she truly is. Yeah. Yeah. I think another powerful thing that came out in the show over and over and over is Colin's resilience. And in one of the episodes, he says, rejection isn't failure. It's a calibrator to help you learn who you are and what you want. And so this sense of purpose and a true north and staying kind of on course and not letting things knock you off course was to me just incredibly stellar as a human being to stay so resolute to what exactly it was that he wanted in the face of everyone telling him what to do or, you know, the biggest example is obviously football versus baseball. And, you know, with all the offers of baseball and all of the opportunities kind of handed to him on a silver platter, being like, nope, I'm going to choose football, even though football is rejecting me. Like he went to how many camps and he went to, you know, like over and over and he's like, okay, he calls his mom at one point and um, remember the, those roaming charges yeah, from right. the 90s, um, he yeah. calls his mom and, you know, he's like, did Stanford reject me? And she's like, yeah, honey, you know, so it's like, oh man. So that rejection piece, even though those come in, just using that as something that push you forward. Um, and then the other quote that I really liked in the film or sorry, in the series, was uh, when Mr. Kaepernick was encouraging Colin and he said, things work out best for those who make the best of the way things work out. Hmm. So I'll say it again because it sounded, when he said it, it sounded very Puritan. (laughs) I was like, oh man, that's, that's a good Puritan one, I'm sure. Things work out best for those who make the best of the way things work out. And just having that like very positive, like, Okay, if this is what it is, I'm going to take it and make, you know, lemonade out of lemons and and not be soured by this situation. You, you know, just a, one final thought here for me is that he worked so hard to become a football mm-hmm. player. And like you said, football mm-hmm. kept rejecting him and he kept pushing and he finally mm-hmm. made it to the NFL. And yeah. doing the right thing, he he knew that doing the right thing could cost him the very thing that he loved, the very thing that he fought so hard to mm-hmm. attain. Mm-hmm. And it shows me another, the last point of his character is that he's willing to stand up and fight for what is right, even above the thing that he loved the most. Mm, well said, yeah. well said. This has been such a great conversation, Rob. Thanks Man, for your thoughts, your your honest insights about this film, and even for sharing your own journey with hair and microaggressions and and all that you good as well. stuff. Yeah, you as well, Donnie. Oh, got you, bro. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. You know, on this episode of Mixed Take, it, it it's so very. I would say we we don't take these these opportunities lightly to be able to talk about issues that we care so much about. So again, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and give us five stars on on Apple Podcast or or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also head over to worldoutspoken.com, a site preparing the Mestizo Church for Cultural Change, where you'll find information on consulting services, thought-provoking blog posts, and other great podcasts, such as The Feature, Questions from the Pew, 
and the one and only Mestige So podcast, the show for the mixed people of the mixed church. You can also make a donation to help us expand the ministry of the Mestizo Church. Your donation allows us to create great content, train leaders, and develop partnerships around the world. Yes, and special thanks to our producer, of course, Michelle Perez. Thank you so much. She's eyeballing us. Also, <laughs> thanks to Emmanuel Padilla and the World Outspoken crew. We hope you join us again as we continue to dive into the world of culture-influencing content creators. And until next time, cut. It's a wrap. Cut.